0: Uh-huh, the music did i do a good job yep okay you did a good job I did.
1: <laughs> that's plenty hey everybody welcome to another episode of ace on music i'm joined as always by my faithful producer mark and my good friend and assistant sean hello everyone so this week i wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, a gentleman who was a giant in in the music industry and also somebody i considered a dear friend lee kerslake passed away on september 18th after an extended battle with colon cancer and uh, we're really really saddened to, to see him go now for those of you who don't really know a lot about about lee's career i mean he he was involved in two of the most important of the hard rock metal bands in history and the first one was uriah Heep. joining uriah Heep in 1971 he went on to record some of their most seminal albums like demons and wizards and magician's birthday and things like that he ended up leaving Heep uh in uh in 79 80 and he went and formed a new band with Uh, at that point, ex-Black Sabbath lead singer Ozzy Osbourne and Randy Rhodes and Bob Daisley, and they created what was going to be called Blizzard of Oz, ended up becoming Ozzy's solo band, but they did two of the great records, Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman, both of which Lee was involved heavily in in the writing on. Now, as our faithful listeners know, I'm a manager of a number of bands, one of them being Uriah Heep, so I first met Lee in, I believe it was 2002 or 2003. I was managing Asia at the time, and we were uh, made a deal to record a DVD, and we were going to Trenton, New Jersey, to the Patriot Theater to film it. And the night before, the same company was doing a filming of a Uriah Heap show. And so we were kind of hanging out with the Heap guys, and, and uh, that was the first time I got to meet Lee. <clears throat> And, uh, now in, uh, back in, oh, 2014, he got diagnosed with the colon cancer and they'd given him about six months to live, but he fought on through. And the first time that you got to meet him, Sean, was in December, 2018.
0: 18. Yeah. Shepherd's Bush.
1: That's right. We got contacted by a documentarian who was doing a film about Lee's life and, she had said that uh, was there any way that Lee could come and join the band for one last time on stage? And we said, absolutely. You know, so we brought Lee down and gave him the Royal treatment and he joined the band on stage and it was a pretty amazing night.
0: Well, let, let me set the moment because uh, it was a big deal to me because it was the second time I've been to Shepherd's Bush. I believe the first time was with Black Star Riders. Correct. And uh, I don't know, you know, if anyone that we, that's listening has been to shepherds bush but there's a major history behind that and then if you when you go backstage there's there's posters and 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 you know a bunch of history you know david bowie i mean you name the big bands they've they've gone through shepherds bush so when i first met lee uh, um during the, uh, 2018 when we were at shepherds bush it was he came in and he was in this wheelchair and he wasn't doing too well but he was so excited oh Uh, man (laughs) like he he was like he would he wanted to go up there and play so bad and he was really excited on being there and he was so happy and it was just like and you know i helped him go around the back uh stage area because i've been there before so i knew the little the little ins and outs but it was just he was just a really humble guy, and you know. And yeah,
1: but he was he was such a big personality. I mean, everything he did he did in a big, big way. First of all, they called him the Bear because he was a big man to begin mm. with. I remember, uh, oh, not long after we did the Trenton, New Jersey thing, um, Asia went over to. We got along so well with the Heap guys that we uh, organized a UK tour where it was Asia and and Uriah Heap mm. and. I remember we did a, uh, I think it was a ferry crossing or something over to France. And if you go on these ferries that take you from England to France, um, you get out of your car, you go up upstairs and there's like restaurants and all this stuff and i remember they're like cafeteria style restaurants i remember lee going up everybody else was getting some food and like you know everybody's having you know bacon and eggs or whatever and there was lee's plate and it was just it was a mountain <laughs> of food i remember adam looking oh, at him and going oh my god
0: <laughs> sound like something i would do <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah that night was amazing ace i mean honestly i mean I remember sitting behind him in his and he was in his wheelchair, and he was he was so pumped up he wanted to get up on stage and he had his little tambourine in his hand and he was he was he was very excited and when he got up there, literally like he was ready to
1: burst in tears you know it meant oh, know. it meant a lot to him as amazing a drummer as he was, the one thing I don't think he gets anywhere near the credit for is the power of his voice i mean especially in Uriah Heep. His harmonies were paramount to that sound that Uri Heap was doing, especially back in the 70s. Mm. And and Mick Box had told me many times, it, you know, you could count on Lee because he'd never drop a note. Never. That guy just had a voice from, from heaven. So And, you know, I guess it's a testament to how great a drummer he is where his vocals don't ever really get recognized. But
0: Well, his drumming back then, too, because, I mean, honestly, growing up, you know... In the 70s and 80s when the first black um excuse me the first aussie album came out with him on it it was it was kind of misleading like you know i thought i really thought tommy aldridge was playing drums for them but <laughs> because because i you know i heard uh diary of a madman and when you open up the, the album cover it was tommy aldridge on there and 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 there was no you know you had to read the credits of that he was on there but it was you know he he i don't know
1: <laughs> well mark you're not so familiar with Ozzy and his stuff but um i tell you if you had met if you had met lee you'd instantly be lifelong friends let me tell you this uh you know we were at this at uh, we were at that uh, shepherds bush empire show and he was holding court backstage you know he had his glass of wine and everybody was coming to see him and he was so, so sitting there in his Hawaiian shirt, you know, this big guy with his big Hawaiian shirt on. Were you at all tuned in to Ozzy back in the early '80s when that stuff was coming out?
2: I was. Now, you know, the disclaimer here is that that wasn't my fandom. I, I right. wasn't. I wasn't connected to it. But hey, I was. I was in high school at this point in time. I mean, that's this was my my thing. And so while I was out there listening to the Springsteens and the Bon Jovis and the you know, and that kind of thing. You know, half of my high school was listening to the Aussies. And- right.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it couldn't be avoided. Well, I tell you, um, it was a result of that Shepherds Bush Empire night. You know, Lee and I had a very long conversation during the day. And, and Lee felt so removed from the world after the cancer hit him as far as the music world. He loved touring. He loved doing all that. That he started phoning me. On a fairly regular basis, just to shoot the shit. You know, he wanted to hear about what was happening with Uriah Heep. He wanted to talk music. Of course, being in a semi-medicated state most of the time, he would forget that it's three o'clock in the morning in L.A. when he's <laughs> falling at eleven a.m. in London. But <laughs> but I I mean I felt so privileged that uh, that he would that he would uh, count me as a friend, and <clears throat> it was. Um, not long after the Shepherd's Bush Empire, in fact, it was the next month that he and Uriah Heap were being inducted into the Heavy Metal Hall of History or Hall of Fame or whatever that one's accurate name is. And, um, you and I, we, we, uh, went and helped him out for the couple of days he was here. And
0: yeah, it was, uh, I was at the NAM show, it was the Heavy Metal, um, Hall of Heavy Metal, I think it was called. It's
1: so whatever it is. Yeah. yeah
0: and, um, yeah he uh, he was super excited on on being there and that's oh. i believe that's when he uh that Aussie gave in and gave it, him the um that's right those now platinum albums because that was a that was a big deal right he was really upset
1: that he never got those see now mark you probably don't know this, but Bob Daisley and lee Kerslake, um they both were instrumental in writing a lot of the music for those first two Aussie albums. And they never really got the credit and as it turned out later on they asserted that they weren't getting the financial credit either for that so in 98 the two of them launched a major lawsuit against aussie and and sharon to try and get their royalties to show you a level of vindictiveness that can happen here sharon was so pissed at them for doing that that she actually got Robert Trujillo and um, whoever the drummer was in Ozzy's band at that time to re-record the bass and drums for those two albums and re-release them to make sure that they would never get another penny of royalty again.
0: That was Faith More's drummer, uh, Mike... Uh, Mike Borden? Mark Borden, yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> so, And he hated it, from what I heard.
1: Yeah, they didn't want to do it, and it, it was... was
0: or it, not that he hated it, it, it made him feel very uncomfortable like re- recording all that stuff
1: unfortunately and for lee and 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 bob in 2003 the lawsuit was dismissed and they basically didn't get anything but um when lee was doing the rounds of press on this documentary that they were doing about him a couple of years ago the, you know he would do a lot of interviews and one of the things he asked is he said you know i've put that behind me and all that but I really would love to get the Platinum Album Awards from those two records because I think I deserve them. And Ozzy, he actually showed me the letter that Ozzy sent him, but Ozzy ended up sending him a very heartfelt letter saying, sorry, we didn't, you know... Things didn't go the way that they should have. We're replacing, you know, we've replaced you and Bob back on the records and all that stuff. And, and yeah, and they actually got him his Platinum Awards. Mm. He was so happy. Did you
0: see the picture that he took with that? He I did. It looked like he was
1: bursting in tears. He was just so happy. <laughs> oh, he, he so talked ha- about it a lot. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, his time with Uriah Heap, it was... You know, Mick Box used to uh, used to joke with me that Aussie's snatched a lot of players from him over the years. Bob Daisley, you know, Lee Kerslake, and you know, there's a few others. So, mm-hmm. but um, I I was very you know when when he left Uriah Heap, Uriah Heap went on and they got um, somebody else who I know quite well as as a drummer, and that was Chris Slade, who now plays for ACDC, at least. We think he still plays for ECDC because they haven't really made an announcement in that camp as to what the
0: heck is going on. Well, I actually heard that they're going to bring back Brian and, uh, um, and Phil and Phil.
1: I figured they are, but um, I I even read an interview with Chris just a few weeks ago. And he said that he has no idea. Nobody said anything to him, which whatever, but he did come back after uh, they did one album with, with Chris. It was called conquest. And I know my business partner feels that's the best you write. <laughs> but uh, I'm a little more enamored with the one that came after. And it was the album that also heralded the return of Lee Kerslake. And it was quite a major success, especially in America. It was called Abominog. Mm. Now, I know we're both big fans of that record.
0: Yes. I, re- I remember when he returned and it was a big deal for me. It was like
1: a big deal. Big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 really... Uh, a, a resurrection of the Uriah Heep song. And he stayed there until he physically couldn't play anymore. Yeah. So, but, um, interesting that this also corresponds with the 40th anniversary of the release of Blizzard of Oz. Well, it was,
0: it was really weird because the Blizzard of Oz 40th anniversary came out on the Friday, uh, last Friday. And, uh, he passed away on Saturday. mm and it was you know i i I was listening to that album during the time that he passed away and it it wasn't you know it was just something that i was doing it wasn't like i was thinking about that and it, it was i don't know how to describe it it's just very bizarre you know
1: well you know it was interesting with the 40th anniversary of blizzard there's been a lot of press coming out about it and a lot of conversations and of course whenever they do one of these box sets they always dig up all kinds of background or additional bonus material or whatever. And there was some facts that I that I learned that I thought were fascinating. And the first one was that originally when they were forming this band, they wanted, Ozzy wanted Gary Moore, formerly of you know, Thin Lizzy and things like that to play guitar, but Gary didn't want to do it because he because you know Ozzy had a pretty bad reputation at that time.
0: So. <laughs> Could you imagine what that sound would have been like if Gary was playing though, like instead oh, of Randy? My.
1: It would have been very different, but it would have been equally as good.
0: Well, yeah, it would be like uh, instead of David Gilmore, Jeff. Back playing with Floyd now. Yeah.
1: No, I wouldn't like that. <laughs> well, I mean,
0: the same thing, right? Like almost
1: same. But he did help them. He did help him do auditions. And apparently um, he was staying at a hotel in Hollywood. And Mark, you'll get a kick out of this. He, he, he got called down to do an audition. And he said he walked in and Ozzy was just like, almost comatose in the thing with empties around them and things like that. And he plugged in and he started to play and through his drug ad- and alcohol addled haze, Ozzy beheld the wonder that is Randy Rhodes and said, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't remember the audition, but he knew he was blown away by it. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought that was a cute story. The other thing that I learned, which which blew me away was... A gentleman that you that both I think all three of us are ad- admirers of, um Deep Purple's Don Airy, uh who I've I've known for a while, he he actually is the one who recorded that keyboard intro to Mr. Crowley. I didn't know that.
0: Well, it's funny you told me that. And, yeah. Um we were on uh you on the Europe tour and uh,
1: Europe opening for Deep Purple in UK. UK. Right.
0: Yeah. It was at the Manchester Arena.
1: The famous arena, that Mark, that's the arena where the Arianda Grande bomb went off that killed all those people. So that was the first time I'd ever been back. Well, I'd been in that arena before the explosion, but it was the first time I'd been there since the explosion. So it was Uh, a little little creepy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was, you know, it was was weird for me because it was my first time being there and you were having a meeting with Europe. And um, I'm like, okay, I'm going to step out and walk around and check out the arena. And uh, I saw Don Airy in the hallway. I guess there's like a lot of paintings and a lot of uh, pictures of past bands that has been through there. And he had his hands crossed. And I'm like, oh, that's Don Airy, you know? And then I'm like, oh, I should say hi to him. And I'm like, no, I'll just let him look, you know? And I I was like admiring all the pictures. Well, that's cool. I've all, you know, Rolling Stones and just a lot of history.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, my first encounter with Don is actually in a venue that will make you smile. First time I met Don, I was playing with Thin Lizzy in the the um, Cambridge Corn Exchange. Mm. Now, I know you got to go to that for the first time oh, yeah. last year. Yeah, there's a lot of history behind that place. Huh? Yeah, for, for, uh, just to explain to you, Mark, the the Corn Exchange is in the heart of Cambridge, which, of course, is such a... A dedicated university town in england but it's also right literally across the back alley from a bar that the pink floyd guys when they were going to university all used to hang out and that that whole scene was going on there and so it's 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 got a vibe that whole area's just got this incredible vibe anyway the, the corn exchange used to literally be a corn exchange where farmers would bring their corn and sell it and everything has now been converted into this incredible venue And so, as usual, it was getting close to showtime and my business partner, Adam, came up to me. He said, look, I pulled two tickets for us in the balcony so we can go watch the show. And I said, okay, well, we headed up there. And I go up to my seat and we have the two end seats in the front row. And who's in the third seat? Don Airy and I went <laughs> so I'm gonna watch Thin Lizzie sitting beside Don and he was such a lovely gentleman and and seen him he comes to every show that that we stage there in in uh, in Cambridge I get he lives there but what a lovely guy but you know I thought that was an incredible piece of history that he did the intro to Mr. Crowley. Did you actually pick up the 40th anniversary collection?
0: I haven't yet I don't know is it I don't think it's released yet I think it's it's available um on streaming but they're they're doing a a red vinyl uh, release I think it's coming up soon but I don't think it's out yet
1: you know one thing that I kept thinking about is if you remember (laughs) when we were at Shepherd's Bush Lee kept telling us that he was recording a solo record. Remember? I think it was called Eleven or It Goes to Eleven oh, yeah, or something. Oh, that's right. That's right. And we met the fellow who was writing all the songs with him there. Yeah, and whatever happened to that? I, that's what I was wondering. I wondered now, since he's passed, what's going to happen with that material? Will it ever see the light of day or anything like mm. that? But uh,
0: You know what's interesting? Talking about these stories, uh, I'm, I'm my brain's going all over the place like, things that happened when we were hanging out with him and I remember okay so when he was at the Nam show and um, he was going to do an interview or he did an interview with Eddie Trunk Right, remember that I do and then I, I just remember he was so excited about telling a story and then when he came out of that interview he goes Oh shit, damn it, I didn't mention this and he was on this and that and you Oh, I didn't tell the story about Randy Rhodes when he was telling me this and he go and he looked at me, he goes, Do you know that Randy would still be alive today if I was on that tour? Because I was a certified pilot and I would have never allowed him to get on that plane. He was very really? yeah, he was very adamant about that. Like he would not let that happen. He goes, Randy Rhodes would be alive today if I was on that tour. He told wow. you know. It was, a, it was, it was a big moment for me. Like for him to vent like that out of an interview, you know, he was so excited. He had so many stories, but you know, you know how it is. You you get thrown a certain amount of time to tell these stories, and you know, obviously, we got so much things to tell. We're all over the place. I'm sure he's he's totally like that too, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, <clears throat> you know, I I uh, I hope that. Uh... I hope that he rests in peace because he was a great guy and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry we lost him, yeah, but I will tell you that in the last several months of his life, he was in a great deal of pain. So part of me is kind of happy that, that Yeah, is. for sure. Okay. So, um, to, uh, to another thing I wanted to talk about was just all three of us. Do you want to talk a little bit about, um, what 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 have you listened to that's new this week? What what's exciting you right now in music that uh, that you've been listening to this week?
0: Uh, Mark, you
1: want to go ahead? <laughs> <laughs> Mark's been working really hard this week, so he probably hasn't listened like, to you a know lot. What?
2: I've been listening to myself.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. I
2: I spent a lot of time uh, throwing music on up here. Um, you know, the, the um, we get to spend a lot of time in here by ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it's not all uh, it's not all people and things like that. So we've been cranking on Willie Nile. If you know Willie Nile, um, essentially there are a collection of artists that have a great Dylan influence, and Willie is one of them. Um, Farron is another, and they're poets. They write incredible lyrics, and they present them in a very Dylan esque sort of structure and way and we've been we've been uh you know I can really get down I really kind of dig it and let them rock out I've always liked the independent uh rock the independent songwriters and this is for me because I'm here in this room all the time it has been a great week for cranking on those indies
1: it must be great <laughs> this week I uh I've been tinkering around with revisiting some stuff from from ages past it's it's about to be the or it is, I'm not exactly sure what day it happened, the 30th anniversary of one of the most seminal albums of one of my favorite bands, Megadeth. Their Rust in Peace album is like turned 30. Is it 30 already? Feels so old. Oh my god. <laughs> but that album really for me was the one that uh that really dragged me into the Megadeth world. I mean when Nick Menza joined and how could it not drag you in? Right. Oh
0: yeah. Like going from those first two out first three albums and then to that one it's just like, all right, we're reeling you in this time.
1: (laughs) Do you know where Mustaine got the name for the record? No. I saw it in an interview recently. He said that he was driving somewhere in LA and there was some car in front of him at a traffic stoplight that had, tons of bumper stickers all over it and one of them was that one that came out uh saying may all your warheads rust in peace and oh and i think went, i remember that now and then he went rust in peace that's a great title <laughs> yeah. off you go so but um anyway so <clears throat> i want to thank both mark and sean for the the show this week And uh, thank all of you for your continued support and feedback. You can always send us emails at acetalksmusic at gmail.com. We also would love to have your support through our patreon.com account. It's patreon.com slash aceonmusic. The cool part about the Patreon platform is you get the Ace on Music After Hours program, which is what we talk about after the cameras stop rolling. So... If you join us over there, you'll see what continues going on after we say goodnight here. But um, in the meantime, we'll see you next time around.